text this morning is Genesis 3.15, has often been referred to as the first gospel, and it is a very important passage that we will focus on a bit of time this morning, Genesis 3.15. I'm going to back it up to verse 14 and read verse 14 and 15. Now hear the word of the Lord. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and on your And you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. Our Father in heaven, we ask that your spirit would attend the preaching of the word today, that as the word is preached, the spirit would be working internally in our minds and hearts, making the specific application giving us understanding of the nature of this warfare, that we would go about our lives engaged in it uh, with all of our heart fixed upon Christ. And we ask that you would help us to understand this as it applies to every sphere of our life, every nook and cranny of our being. And as we live out our lives, we pray that we would live with a mind of this battle that we're in, and with the victor that we have in Christ Jesus. It is in his name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. There's a little town south of Brussels, Belgium. It's not known for its size uh, or its resources or its political importance, It is known for a battle that took place there. Its name is Waterloo. The famous battle was held in this town, uh, of which we now know because of this battle. The Battle of Waterloo was fought on June the 18th, 1815, which resulted in the defeat of Napoleon, and it ended the Napoleon Wars. It has become a mark in our history books, and one that you are likely familiar with to some degree or another, apart from that particular battle, you probably would have never heard of the little town of Waterloo. Now, like Waterloo, the earth is not significant because of its great size, but rather what is going on here. And what's going on here is a great cosmic battle, A battle being fought here in order to spotlight the glory of God. As we pick up this series of which I uh, began several months back and then left uh, for the pulpit and and for this time for a couple of months, we're now regaining some ground and we're going to go back to this with, I hope that we can look with some very broad strokes some of the key narratives of Scripture to help us see the big picture of what's going on. Now, if this is still live and active, you probably are not going to be able to see this very well, but this is an amazing diagram that shows someone took 63,000 cross-references of Scripture and connected the dots between the narratives of these passages of Scripture. 
As we can see this beautiful graph that shows the narratives from this along are the, are the references in the Bible. This is Genesis, that's Exodus. And this pictures the wonderful story of what's going on here on the earth. You're a part of that story. You're out here where things have not yet come to its complete consummation. But we are each a part of the narrative of God's wonderful story, but we're also a part of the great battle that we have to face. Now, if we understand and unpack this story, you're going to see how it begins to fit all together and how the Bible begins to make sense from Genesis to Revelation and is very applicable and relevant to your life in every aspect. It is how these pieces fit together and how they apply in our lives that will hopefully, the Spirit will give us some understanding, the beginning of the beginning of which hopefully will happen this morning. But to understand the nature of the story is critical because we have to understand where our lives fit in and where our lives fit in, we have to understand the nature of what's going on so that we can be engaged in the right manner with the right focus. Again, everything is happening here for the glory of God. Because of the foundational importance of these opening chapters of Scripture, I want to focus a little more time on them, and then we're going to take some of these narratives more in a broad stroke. But here we have a crucial text in Scripture that reveals a lot of what is going on here. This is the beginning of the war. Some would call this the great antithesis between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, the great antithesis. Today I want to preach to you on the nature of that antithesis or the nature of the warfare that we are in. When I read, read this passage in Genesis 3, um, in fact, as I read Genesis 1 through 3, every single time I read it, I've got more questions. It, it, you just will not plummet the depths of what is here in just the first three chapters of the Bible. Well, what is this serpent? We read in Genesis 1, uh, 3, 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, have you ever thought about the questions that can um, spring from that very verse? Who was this serpent? What was he? Was he an animal? Was he something more than an animal? Why was he talking like an intelligent being? And why was Eve not thinking, this is weird? Where did the serpent get his knowledge from? Where was he so wise and how? If this was Satan, then why is he talking in a serpent? And if it is Satan, then why did God curse the serpent more than the cattle so that he now crawls around like a snake licking up the dust? Is it, is it an animal? Is it Satan? Is it both? What's going on here? Is there something else intended by this? Is there something of a real animal and Satan inhabiting that animal? What's the connection between the two? What is the seed of the serpent? What does it consist of? If the serpent is Satan, then how can his seed also be Satan, which would be crushed? How does that correspond to the seed of the woman? And who 
is that seed? And on and on it goes. I mean, that, those are just the questions I was able to jot down in five minutes of just trying to think through this passage a little bit. What is all this? Now, the answers to those questions are important, and it reveals the very nature of what we are warring against. Sung Tzu, his Art of War, which is a little book and a directive that has been used for centuries by just about every army and military that's ever lived, including our own, he has these little principles. He says, first of all, you have to know your enemy. And another principle in which he wrote an entire chapter of these little principles, he, he basically said, know the ground on which you battle. Know your enemy and know the ground. Only choose to fight if you're on the right kind of ground. If you're on high ground, you have the advantage. If the enemy is on the high ground, don't engage. These are some of the kinds of principles that he has, and I think some of these things are worthy for us to consider in a spiritual way. A key principle for us is never to engage the enemy on his ground. His terrain will always put us in a position where he will win. Some of his terrain includes the world and the world's principles that are at play in the world system. His ground can be the flesh. And so many times we try to do the right thing or fight sin in our life or overcome some weakness in the arm of the flesh or in our own strength, and when we do, we will lose. So understanding the nature of our warfare and our enemy will help us to rely on Christ in every circumstance and in every battle we face. Christ is your only hope for victory against all of your enemies. Period. Now, there's a lot of unpacking of that that's going to have to take place much of which we can't do this morning. But what we learn from this passage here is that we have three main categories of the enemies that we have that we do battle with. First of all, there are the fallen spiritual beings who are of a higher order of creation than humanity. A second enemy is death itself. This is a result of the fall. And it's not merely physical death, but spiritual death, which happened the moment the forbidden fruit was eaten. Death actually is the principle at play in our lives that yields every fear and worry that we know. And then the third enemy is our own hearts. Especially since the fall, our sinful hearts, the very nature. In fact, you are your own worst enemy. Since the fall, this is even more true. And Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? How can you trust your own heart? You better not. You better not. It's deceptive above all things. If you trust your own heart in this, it immediately puts you on the low ground. And it puts you on the enemy's terrain where he can strike. 
And each one of those categories, and they all work, overlap with each other, and they work in us and through us and upon us. And this is the battle and the warfare in which we are engaged, in which the seed of the woman will come and triumph over them all. But if we know our enemies and the nature of our warfare, we will see that Christ is the only way to win every battle that we will ever face. And whether you're in a spiritual battle with the demonic world itself, or in a battle against worry or fear or spiritual darkness or even facing physical death itself, or if you're struggling with yourself, in yourself, or with others in relational conflict, the answer will always come up the same, Christ. Christ, for in him you are complete. For in him all things that pertain to life and godliness are given to you. It is in him that is the storehouse of all the wisdom and the knowledge. Christ is your answer. Christ is the seed of the woman who did crush the head of the serpent And every battle, every struggle you face has its springhead right here in Genesis 3.15. The remedy for every problem you face is right here, the seed of the woman. And if you use any other weapon or stand on any other ground, you will be defeated. I know that's very basic But I have to get to the very foundational principle because life throws us a lot of complex issues. My own heart is wrapped up like a little squirrel's nest where you just, it's difficult to unpack and bring to the surface the real issue so that Christ can be applied. But that is the the reality. If we understand the very nature of the battleground, uh, the battle and the ground on which we fight, we can be victorious. It often requires a lot of unpacking to bring to the surface, but every problem we face in life can be faced with Christ, and He is the only solution, and with Him we are certainly victorious. Now as we back it up a little bit and we see in verse 1, this serpent deceives Eve and eating of the forbidden fruit that God commanded them not to eat. Even Eve understood this. She later answered the Lord, Oh, the serpent deceived me. The the passage introduces us to our first great antagonist, and it says the serpent. I want to give us ten points, and I put this on on your little handout if you have that with you. I'm just going to follow down real quickly and go through these ten points when we think about the angelic and spiritual beings against which we do battle. Now, first of all, the first point is angelic beings are part of God's invisible creation. There is an invisible creation that we do not see, but is just as real as the one that we do. They exist in a higher order of creation than man. Man is made a little lower than the angels. That doesn't mean in terms of height, it means in terms of the order uh, of creation. They are superior in intelligence, in power, 
They have superior faculties and power than do humans. Therefore, never, ever attempt to engage battle with a demon of any sort in your flesh or in your strength because you will never win. Remember, remember the sons of Scevia and Acts who, who tried that? And they were beaten to a pulp physically, not to mention spiritually. Now, number two, one-third of the angels who originally inhabited heaven rebelled against God and were cast down to the earth. And number three, when they were cast out of heaven, they made their abode here. That's not, this is not their intended abode. This is not their natural home. And what we see possibly going on in Genesis 3.1 is the taking of the dominion of the earth away from man to get man to forfeit his dominion over all of creation and particularly over the animals that he had just named. And now we have this, this, this deception in order to find a place to live and that is exactly what happened. Number four, fallen angels who come to earth for their habitation often find earthly embodiments for their spirits unlike the angels who never left their heavenly abode. You ever thought about that? Good angels, which are called in the scripture ministering spirits to the righteous, are those who help and aid us. They can appear in the likeness of a man but they do not possess humanity. Whereas fallen angels who were cast down to the earth oftentimes takes on embodiment. And I believe that was what's going on here in the serpent. We see them sometimes possessing humans. Jesus cast a legion of them out, and again, they wanted embodiment, and into the swine they went. And here the chief fallen angel, Satan, is inhabiting a, servant, a serpent uh, of, of this nature and takes the form in an animal. And even though man should have been guarding against this, he was deceived, the woman was deceived, and then he did not protect the garden as he should. He forfeited now that dominion that he had over to the fallen angelic world. And that's why the devil is called the god of this age. He is the great deceiver. He is the prince of the power of the air. And he is uh, a very strong and formidable foe. Now fallen angels, number five, left their higher order of existence and they, now they dwell among men. Who And these angels... Right? These were angels, and now they're fallen. And men are a lower order of creation than angels. Now these angels have been cast out of heaven, and they find a lower state than their original abode, but they are still more formidable uh, than the strength of man. Now fallen man also left a higher order of existence. He was created in the image of God, and when he sinned, that image was marred, and now fallen man exists in a lower state of his existence. 
still existing in the image of God, but the image is now marred, and so therefore all of his faculties and character are grossly skewed in depravity. Now, when you think about both 5 and 6, the previous two points, the fallen angels that have left their abode and are in a lesser degree, if you will, than the, the other angels, and fallen man left his higher state of being and now marred in the image of God, both fallen angels and fallen men are at war with God in their fallen state. Now this combination, fallen men and fallen angels, makes up the antithesis which is at enmity with God. Number seven, fallen man has no or fallen man does have hope to be restored from his fallen condition, but only in Christ. Number eight, fallen angels, these demons, have no hope. Their state is permanently and eternally fixed. Fallen angels are still a higher order than fallen man with more power and intelligence. But number 10, redeemed man, however, is becoming a higher order than the fallen angels. Is becoming as the image of God is being restored. So greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent, and the redeemed of the Lord one day will judge even the fallen angels. So those are some observations and points of which we understand now the fallenness of this world that is around us. It is not merely the things that are seen, but also the things that are not seen collectively working against God. And that's the nature of of the battle. Now let's consider the nature of the serpent and his seed along with the seed of the woman. The serpent here is the chief of the fallen angels. He's referred to in scripture as the devil, he's referred to as uh, Satan, uh, the great accuser. He has got several names, prince of the power of the air. He was considered and theologians consider him from what the Bible tells us, is the strongest, most powerful of the angelic beings uh, and therefore kind of the, the leader, if you will, of the dark forces of which we war against. And while he found an earthly embodiment in a serpent for this occasion, the nature of the serpent and his seed is not physical but spiritual. We will see him again and again and again. We're going to see him in Judas. We will see him in Pharaoh. We will see him on a number of occasions. We'll see him in Pilate. And so we, we see this one embodied to work out the spiritual battle in the physical realm. And while the children, the seed of the serpent is of a spiritual nature, they do have physical bodies. So the seed of the serpent is a spiritual seed, not a physical seed, but they will have physical bodies because this is the earth. I'm walking a very difficult line to try to express something here 
This is not a different form of Gnosticism. This is really taking both spirit and body and making sure that we understand both and that the nature is truly spiritual, but it gets fleshed out here upon the earth and in bodies. The lineage of the serpent is spiritual, but it does take place in the embodiment of fallen humanity. We will see spiritual lineage of the serpent in people, some of whom will be possessed, but the majority of them will not be. They will simply be under his influence, under his deception, and under his dominion, bound under his dominion by their own sinful hearts. In the same way, the seed of the, serp- the, seed of the woman is likewise a spiritual seed. The seed of Abraham is a spiritual posterity, not a physical one. This is really important for us to grasp. The lineage is of this spiritual nature is not determined by circumcision. It is not determined by baptism, but by a living faith in Jesus Christ. We will see there are some circumcised people where the, that, who were the seed of the serpent. Remember Jesus in John chapter 8 talking to the Pharisees, and he says, we are the children of Abraham. And Jesus says, no, you are of your father the devil. The seed of the serpent, though religious leaders in Israel. So this lineage also takes place in and through people. Christ, as we will see in subsequent messages is the chief and primary seed of the woman who would accomplish the crushing of the serpent's head. But we in Christ are children of Abraham by faith and of Christ. And so we belong to this seed as well, where Christ is the ultimate seed. We are in union with him only by faith, and there by faith a living and vital union with the vine, And therefore, we are in Christ and in the right sphere. What we have in this cosmic battle going on in the earth is unlike any other battle that we ever know. It's unlike any other thing in the universe that we can put our hands around. It's uh, the world here is the battleground and the sphere of this great cosmic battle is being fought for the glory of God. War, where fallen angels and fallen men are at war with God. All in the context of this physical, earthly world in which we live, and that's the nature of the war that we're in. Now we just, I'm going to be overly repetitive to make sure we get this. While the war and the battles take place here in the physical realm with human with humans living on this created world, it has hands, it will take on legs, it will have speech and eyes, and it will say things, yes, but the nature of it is not physical, it is spiritual, and it will never be won by physical means. If the enemy can only lure you over to his ground so that you accomplish even a spiritual victory by your flesh, he's got you. He's got you nailed. And we do this all the time. A 
While there are many, many physical manifestations of this battle, the nature of the problem is invisible. It is spiritual. The nature of the problem is one of character. One of character. It's not of ability. It's not of strength. It's not of smarts or intelligence. It's not of the intellect or ingenuity. It's not of your talents or resourcefulness or gifts. It's not going to be done with technology or sword or chariot or the strength of the horse or all of the modern equivalents to that. No, no, no. The nature of the problem as well as the solution is the nature of the warfare which is inside, not outside of us. It's abstract. It's invisible. It's spiritual. It's a problem of character. It includes characteristics, and I'll just use the the antithesis here. Love versus hate. Honor and contempt. Respect, disloyalty. Humility, pride. Truthfulness, deception, holiness, sinfulness, righteousness, wicked, obedience, rebellion, joy, bitterness. We could go on and on and on. In fact, the Psalm 15 this morning, who can ascend into the hill of Jehovah? Every one of the characteristics is a character. It's character. All these characteristics, well, yes, they'll have physical outlets to them. They will have hands to them. They will have a mouth to them. But the nature of the battle will never be won that way. It will be won in the hearts of God's people in Christ. And as soon as you would try to attempt to engage in your flesh you will lose. Think about some of those battles that we all face against sin in our own lives. So I've got a weakness. I've got to overcome my weakness. And so therefore I try to to create some discipline and overcome and pull myself up by my bootstraps only to find out that the, the fall gets greater once I fall. It doesn't work. It's ultimately a character that's inside of me. And Christ is the only one that can release me, give me victory, and give me hope. Think about your personal relationships issues, or or your marriage, or the weaknesses and the strengths that you, struggles that you have relationally. It's not about personality conflicts. It's not about temperament issues. It is a character that is inside of us, and that character must be characterized with Christ. He is the seed of the woman. That is the victor. Even the outside battles that we face, the, the, the good battles and the righteous battles, the battle against abortion, for instance, ultimately is not a legislative issue, but it is a character issue, and the answer is Christ. Legislating against abortion is a good thing. Very thankful that Roe got overturned, but legislation is simply just addressing the supply chain. 
We must understand that victory over this issue will never come apart from a character change, not a legal change, not a physical change. Christ is the answer for abortion. When he changes the heart, abortion will no longer be sought. Christ addresses the demand side of the equation. Take the desire away, you have no need for the legal aspect. Now, in the world and fallen world in which we live, we're going to have to have both. But the ultimate answer and solution is going to be Christ and the character change within us. See, every battle, every issue you face is going to have this antithesis going on in your life, and you're going to have to unpack it, and you're going to have to find Christ. That's going to be your answer. Everyone has either the spirit of death working in him or the spirit of life. Christ said the kingdom of God is within you. It is in your heart. It is in you before it is out here. And the war ultimately boils down to character. The character of Christ. The person of Christ. Working your character in a new way. The Bible says, from the heart spring all the issues of life. And from the heart of man, we see every working out of what that heart reveals. It will come out to the surface because what you truly believe, you will live. And how you think, that is what you're going to do. And so the nature of the antithesis begins here in Genesis 3.15. But I want you to understand something very important. Every one of us begins life on the serpent's side. All of us come into life, baptized or not, children of the devil. This is because of our original sin in Adam and our own guilt. We enter into this world with a character of fallenness and of a spiritual death. A a spiritual death of which we cannot remedy. And Ephesians 2 tells us that we start out in this kingdom of darkness. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. And that applies to us all. Wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now works in the children of disobedience. And such we all were. I think a lack of believing this at some level has led many parents and their baptized children down the road of presumption and false assurance. Everyone in life begins on the serpent's side since Genesis 3. But everyone who is a child of God must at some point in his life be regenerated. That's the whole necessary doctrine of regeneration, to be born again, a new character of life, a new principle of life that has been given to you, and this is a grace of God. This is not something that you can do. This is the work of the Spirit in your life through His Word with the application of the atoning work of Christ. And this is when you receive a new nature, a character change. And that change happens inside of us. Where your own worst enemy is. And this is a moment 
It does occur at some point in your life. At some time, it, this occurs. And if this never has occurred, you are still in the kingdom of darkness. Now, you may not know when that moment was, but you're a creature of time and space and matter, and that has happened or it hasn't happened in time. But when you're regenerated, this is the time in which Christ takes you out of the kingdom of darkness and places you into the kingdom of his dear son, or where the Father does this, and that's where you have the forgiveness of sins, where you have the inheritance of the saints and the light. As Colossians 1 says, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. That's the time. Do not presume upon God or even upon your baptism like the Jews did and claim something that really is not yours. Now, at the point of your conversion, you face now a great antithesis from a new perspective. You've switched sides, if you will. You've come out of darkness and you're into the light and from death unto life. And now your spirit is alive. You're no longer at enmity with God through your wicked works, as the scripture says. But now you're a loving child of God. Now you eat with him. You don't curse him. And you find now that there is a new great battle warring in your members between your old man and now your new man in Christ, between the flesh and the spirit. And so the war actually takes a greater intensity, not a lesser one. And then having the image of God being restored in you, you are now a representative of Christ upon the earth and a big target for the spiritual forces to undo you. And they will attack you, not because you're worth anything to them, but because you represent the God in which they are at war against. And these spiritual forces of darkness will work in the world systems. We have enemies from within and we have enemies without. This is the nature of the battle. It is spiritual. It is not physical. And the battles will be won in the spiritual realm with Christ and exhibited out in the physical realm of which we live. And Christ is the only battleground on which you can stand victoriously. Paul informs us in Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Oh, they take embodiment okay. I mean, they, they, they will be coming at us from physical, but you cannot engage on the physical realm or you will lose the battle. That's why the Bible tells us to love our enemies. Do good to those who persecute us. This is absolutely contrary battleground of which we would normally expect. Someone cuts us off on the interstate, we want to yell and cut them off. We want to pass them and yank. You know, you're losing The battle often takes place in our minds. That's why Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not fleshy. They're not of the old man. 
but mighty through God of the pulling out of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. See, the battle is going on inside of us. Our hearts are deceptive. They lie to us above all things. Who can know it? That's why it's so important for Christians to be victorious, must live in community one with another, that we can speak into each other's lives Christ and Him crucified. The spiritual world and the forces of darkness work against us. Demon possession is, I believe, impossible for a believer because greater is he that is in you, the Holy Spirit, than he that is in the world, and he will never allow your temple to be inhabited by the demonic forces. But demonic influence and deception of believers are very real possibilities, and I think we probably, all of us, succumb to their deceptions. At some point or another in our Christian life, we probably have been used as a tool in Satan's hand to do something that has been destructive in the church or against a neighbor. David, a man after God's own heart, was moved by Satan to take a census, which was a great sin. Peter opposed Jesus. At one point, Jesus confronted him and said, Get behind me, Satan. Now, he's not saying that G- uh, Peter was, was possessed of him, but there was this spirit that was standing against God in this matter, and it was the spirit that was working in which Peter, in the flesh, was trying to win a battle, but not on the right ground. And he became an instrument through which the enemy was trying to thwart the very plan of God. The Corinthian church was moved against Paul. Paul warned of others in the church who would fall prey to the, and even unwittingly so, to the devil's instrument in the church to be destructive. See, the battle is won in the hearts and minds of men. It is Christ who crushed the head of the serpent. And for you to have the victory over all of your enemies, you must be found in Christ. You must engage the battles in Christ. You must work out your marital problems with Christ. You must work out your sin issues with Christ. You must work out all of your weaknesses and your character with Christ. And that will be the way to victory. 1 John 5, 4 says, For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. There's a war going on. It's much bigger than what's going on in the Gaza Strip. It's much larger than Hamas and the Jews. This is a war that's been going on since Genesis 3.15. And you now are a key player and part of this narrative of which it will bring to its final consummation in great victory, in great glory. But Christ has won the battle and now you will continue with Christ until all of his enemies are put under his feet as his footstool. It's a spiritual war, but it's taking place in the physical realm upon the earth. It has physical embodiments. It 
uses the world. It uses all the institutions of the world. It uses colleges and universities. It uses governments and the political system. It uses even churches. And there is a characteristic spirit of Christ and his kingdom of his seed. And there is a characteristic spirit of the seed of the serpent and the kingdom of darkness. And these two are at war with each other, the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. And we must look to the seed of the woman who crushed the head of the serpent. So we need to know who our enemies are. We need to always be aware of the battleground on which we should engage or we should not engage. And we need to know that Christ is truly the only solution. The weapon with which you and this fallen world will arise victorious. See, this is what God is telling us. But we who are physical tend to minimal, minimalize the spiritual when we are both spiritual and physical. And we were created for the dominion of this world and only in Christ has that been restored to a new humanity and we are taking dominion by his power and the strength of the Holy Spirit. Folks, be in Christ. Kids, make sure that you have committed your life to Christ. Grow up in Christ. Serve Christ. Think about Christ. Think about all of the world around you in Christ. When you read those headlines of the news tomorrow morning, what does this have to do with Christ and his glory? Should be the filter through which you read. How is this going to end well, where Christ is glorified? And that should be the filter through which everything you do in life should be governed. It's a character. I've said the most difficult challenge for me as a preacher to you is to convince you that your character is more potent to change this world than anything else you do. Now, that's a hard sell, but as we begin to see the dots connect, that's where Christ places the emphasis for your holiness and your, your, your light, the salt of the earth, and your Christian character that is unashamed of the gospel of Christ, standing in every sphere of life that God gives you, whether it's in the courthouse, whether it's in the political realm or a university or whatever it is, in your place of work, that will be more life-changing if you just live out and obey the gospel fully. That's a hard sell for me, but one I hope over the time that we can embrace. It doesn't mean you stop doing things. It means you work really hard in the grace of God to build your Christian character, to change this world, not just in the rest of your life, but it may have several lifetimes before the fruit in this world comes to be. Let's pray. Our Father, we have difficult lessons to learn with your truth. We confess that we are still seeing through a glass dimly. We live in a world that is so saturated with materialism and activity We are rich in the earthly things. 
But Lord, we confess that in many ways we are poor of the spiritual things. Teach us, O Lord, to seek those things which are above, to lay up our treasures in heaven, to not be entangled with this world that we might be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that you would teach us the nature of the spiritual warfare and that the Spirit of God would guide us to keep us from the snares of the enemy to trap us over onto his ground. Lord, there are many enemies within us. The old man is such a nature that is impossible for us to tame. And so we ask that you would do in us that which we cannot do of ourselves and save us from our old self. Empower the new creature that we are in Christ, that we might rely upon the means of grace with greater fervency, and that Christ would truly be the focal point of our life, the center of our life, the power of our life, the focus and influence of our life, that you would be working in us and through us to do of your good will and your good pleasure. And may the world see that we are his by the love we have one for another. Lord, as we engage in the world and culture around us, we pray that we would go in the strength of the Spirit with Christ upon our lips, with worship upon our tongues, and psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, being praising you in the gates of the city. Lord, we ask that you would square us up with the truth of the Scripture, that we would be faithful soldiers and good stewards of this gospel that you have put in these earthen vessels, that we would be faithful seeds of Abraham and of our Lord Christ in the days that you've given to us. Lord, we ask that you would use each one of us and us collectively, corporately as a church to influence this county in every part of it with the culture of the gospel and the influence of Christ. That there would be a great light that would shine in Hickman County, not because of us, but because of Christ. That we truly would decrease and not have any desire for fame or affirmation from man or applause or accolades, but we would decrease that we can see Christ increase so that the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the face of this world as the waters do the seas. Use this as a powerful instrument in every circumstance for the glory of our God in the face of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.